0: We are in our third session looking at the king, encounters with the king. And this session is kind of um, like a little hinge because Christina's vision for this retreat was that we would talk about the sufferings of Jesus and then also talk about the wealth that we have as daughters of the king. And um, just as things kind of played together, this is, um, we decided to, to, to utilize, well, the Lord decided that we would do these encounters and talk about how we encounter him and who he is. But this is going to be the session where we talk about his surrender, his suffering, and his sacrifice. And um, I have to be honest and tell you, obviously, like I get really emotional, and this might be a really hard session for me. So it's probably the Lord that this is only going to be 30 minutes because (laughs) it's hard for me to talk about that without getting emotional. So, would you just pray with me, real quick? Lord, I just thank you so much for what you've done for us on the cross. I thank you that your cross bought us a crown. And I thank you, Lord, that, um, you are the only thing in heaven that's going to be scarred. Everything else is going to be absolutely perfect, but you were willing to just be forever scarred for us, Lord. And, um, I just praise you for that. I thank you that our names are engraved on the palms of your hand. And I, I just thank you that these sisters that I am here with, Lord, I'm going to be with forever, that we're going to enjoy that fellowship forever, but more importantly, God, that they are going to rule and reign with you. And Jesus, I just pray that you would help us get through this session, Father, that you would help us look honestly and openly at your suffering, not because we want to be gruesome or sadistic in some way, God, but because we really want to appreciate all that you've done for us, God. And I praise you, Jesus, with all of my heart, all of my heart for who you are. We love you and thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I love Jesus and I am so glad that you guys love Jesus and we get to go into some of the most incredible places in scripture today. And I would like you to turn in Isaiah 53. And I, I, I went back and forth of how to talk about the suffering. And I have to confess, I had a little cheater plan. <laughs> I, I asked my daughter to, to go online and, and, and find the best description she could find of his suffering, and then I was just going to read it, because I thought, maybe if I read it, I won't get so emotional, you know? (laughs) And she misunderstood and wrote down some scriptures, so I was like, okay, I guess I got to bite the bullet and actually talk about it. But I think it's really important for us to, to talk about and look at the suffering of Jesus, because it's true what Christina said. His suffering his sacrifice his surrender bought us a crown ladies when he chose us and made us a a royal priesthood and, and adopted us into his family and says he's planned this elaborate wedding feast for us all of that's so true but there's so many more benefits and blessings that he's bought for us and so as best as I can, I want to just talk to you about his suffering and sacrifice today. Um, and, and what the Lord put on my heart as I was thinking about it is, and, and what I tell myself actually personally, because people will often say to me, Well, you know, isn't it a great sacrifice being in Africa? And it's not. It's not because what I've realized, and I hope you're going to realize as we look at this today, there really is no sacrifice that I could ever give Jesus or you could ever give Jesus compared to the sacrifice he already made. You know what I mean? It's a privilege and an honor. He's done so, so much. And I hope that as you see, um, the suffering, it will inspire you. I had the privilege when I um, was being discipled early on in my faith of, of um, having a, a pastor whose good friend was a man who just did an incredible job of leading us through um, communion. And he would graphically describe for us the crucifixion and i'm going to try to share what i can remember from what he shared i wish i had specific references you could look up but if you just go online and, and type that question in you know what are the suffer- what were the, what was the crucifixion like or passion week and if any of you have seen the passion of the christ i haven't actually seen that movie myself but if you've seen that movie you've seen the graphic description, but I think it's important for us to every now and then just take the time to appreciate the depth of this sacrifice. Amen? So, okay, here we are at Isaiah 53. This chapter... Is one of the most amazing chapters in the world because obviously it was written of hundreds of years before Christ came to earth. Psalm 22 is another one that you can look at, but I am I, turning you there because I want you just to have your hand marked in it. And as we talk about his suffering, and and you might tend to think like, oh, like that's too much. It's not. And, and the majority of the things we're going to talk about today, you can actually see written down here. And this scripture was difficult for most scholars to understand. You know, people expected Jesus to come as a conquering king. They expected the Jesus that we see in the book of Revelation, and we're going to end with today, sitting on his throne, regal and ruling and in charge of everything. They expected that Jesus to come. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in that little manger, and then he went to the cross, the world was literally turned upside down, upside down. And and so it's important for us to recognize that his suffering is a is a central part of our salvation. It says to us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you know, that famous scripture about us us being new creations in Christ. Well, right after that, it says right around verse 20, 21, that that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God. He actually, in the cross, took our place. That's where you and I should have been. He accepted the full weight of the wrath of God. And, and um, think about him as he... Uh, was standing before Pontius Pilate. I want to back all the way up to there. And just a side note, really interesting little study you can look at. If you can Google the name Mark Biltz, he has a whole um, series on the Jewish festivals. And he talks about how Jesus perfectly fulfilled all the spring festivals and shows how. Um, in his first coming, you know, he is that Passover lamb, and and there's um, a few others that it's just fascinating. He was examined by the high priest the same way in the festivals. The lamb had to be examined. It's just fascinating. So if you, if you have extra time and you're really interested in that kind of stuff, very, very interesting study to listen to. He's a little bit dry, but it's fascinating. So... So um, mark that name down. But um, okay, so here he is standing in front of Pontius Pilate. As you know, he's been scourged. He's been beaten. They have started screaming as a crowd, crucify him, crucify him. If you know anything about scourging, they took a whip that had long metal uh, sorry leather strands but they had little metal pieces embedded in that leather whip so that when he was whipped it actually grabbed onto the flesh and literally tore it off of his back so jesus when when pilate said to scourge him i think probably in pilate's defense he was trying to hoping that if he just scourged him, they would let him go. But in that scourging, literally by the time Jesus comes back from that, he has no more flesh left on his back. He's been beaten by the soldiers that are with him, and the scripture says that he was beaten beyond the point of human recognition. He was beaten so severely that we would not be able to recognize him. His beard was torn out piece by piece. They hated Jesus so much because of the message of grace that they tore his beard out bit by bit. And I don't know if you can imagine what a face looks like, but I can. And I'm sure that was horrific. So here he is. He has no more beard left. He has no, um, no skin left on his back. And he's standing there. You know, they've mocked him. They've spit on him. They've done every possible thing they can do to humiliate him and show him their hatred. And I know that, like, when we look at his suffering and we hear these things, that, that just seems to us like, how could anyone endure that? I don't know how your pain tolerance is or how you feel about pain, but I, I just think that would just be so excruciating. But for Jesus, that was nothing. That was nothing. Nothing compared to the pain that he was about to feel as he went to the cross. When they crucified him, yes, the crucifixion itself was extremely painful. If you know anything about crucifixion, driving the spikes through your hands and feet, if you think about your body anatomically, your nerves have to end somewhere. And they end at your hands and your feet. So you have this incredible uh, system of nerves that run all the way through your body and monitor your heat and your temperature and how you feel and all these things. They end and begin in all of us, in our hands and our feet. So they're kind of concentrated, if you will. So he's got a spike driven through his hands, a spike driven through his feet, and he's propped up on this cross. And they say that while you're on the cross, you actually are asphyxiated because it becomes so difficult to breathe and you're trying to hoist yourself up so you can get a breath. So his back's torn apart face is torn apart he's wearing that crown of thorns he's been tortured and humiliated and just treated beyond what what we can even consider humane in any way shape or form and there he is gasping for breath i'm not an asthmatic but my dear friend emily who came with me last year she Struggled with asthma most of her life, and she almost died several times as a child. And she told me what it was like to just gasp for breath, to not be able to breathe. She said, I don't know why, but I used to just put my arms up, and, and she learned later that anatomically that would help. That's why Jesus was pushing himself up. But he was gasping for breath. So there's your Savior, my Savior, the one who loves us so much, suffering so much for us. But we know from the scripture that it was there while he was already in so much pain that the wrath of God was poured out on him. In that moment, when he cried out and said, my God, God, why have you forsaken me? He felt something you and I will never feel. He felt like there was no hope. Like God was just never going to think of him or forgive him or care for him ever again. He was absolutely separated. He knew what it would feel like in hell in that moment. All of that, so we would not know what that felt like. And and we forget sometimes that his time on the cross wasn't just a few minutes, it was several hours. Actually, we know from the scripture that it was three solid hours that darkness covered the land. The whole creation was groaning (laughs) as God was pouring that wrath out. That should have been you. That should have been me. Every single time I do something selfish, every time I choose my way instead of God's way, I'm keeping up wrath on him because he already paid for it God already knew I was gonna do it every single thing I used to say as women you know one of the things we struggle with is resentment and unforgiveness is a big one for us And the Lord challenged me once to just think about him on the cross. Think about him. Literally bleeding because they tore his beard out. Each time I don't want to forgive somebody. Causing that kind of pain to be inflicted upon him. Now I know it wasn't just me, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but I needed to see, because unforgiveness doesn't hurt anybody but me. But it really hurts him. And I, I encourage you to just in your own quiet time, think that through think about the people that you don't want to forgive or that just rub you the wrong way. We all have somebody like that. Jesus died for them. He suffered that much for them. And each time we refuse to show them love, we're just saying, it's okay, Lord, just heap a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, you can, You've already been on there three hours. Come on. And yet if it was you or me, we'd be just in agony, screaming, begging for a second of mercy, wouldn't we? Sometimes we forget that not only did he suffer and experience such incredible difficulty and torture because of our sin, but he also experienced that for the person that sinned against us. And maybe it'll help you. I know I have several very close, close friends in my life that have been horribly abused and really wrestle with how it's affected their lives. And abuse is a terrible thing. No one should have to go through that. But it helps them to realize that Jesus paid for that too. Their abuser, he died for that sin. And I... I said this last session, and it's good that we don't have to go over it all the way again, but it's important for us to remember that he did that for the entire sin of the world. Even the people who don't come to repentance. It's such a huge magnitude of suffering that it's hard for me to really understand. I don't know, maybe it's easy for you. But I love love Jesus so much. You know, I was telling you earlier how much I love my grandkids. I would, I'm sure, lay down my life for them. No questions asked. It would be a joy to defend them. But I can't ever do that for Jesus. I'm the one that put him there so are you and we can't forget that not because we need to torture ourselves but because it's proof you know I they, you've probably all heard that saying you know if, if someone asks Jesus how much do you love me you know the saying he spread out his arms, and died for us. And it's true. I mean, it's a thousand times true. I would never say it's not true, but do we really realize what he went through? I said this as we were praying. When we get to heaven and everything's perfect and the streets are paved with gold, and you and I run from room to room and share just like with the awe of kids just how amazing it is there and all the treasures, all the things that I can't see and nobody's ever been able to explain. And we stand there with myriads and myriads of people and we sing the Song of the Lamb and the redeemed, Moses' song. That's going to be incredible, right? It's going to be amazing. But John says, I saw a lamb, and he looked like he'd been slain. Does that mean that we're not going to ever be able to recognize Jesus was a man? Because his face Is so damaged. Will we know, like, he used to have a beard there? I don't know. He'll be scarred. But he's the only thing in heaven that's not going to be perfect. Perfect Jesus. King of kings. When I first read that and I first heard the pastor who was teaching about that, he he used a funny example and he said that if God was, it's like God, um, if someone was called to go reach the chihuahuas for Jesus and in order to reach a chihuahua, you had to actually become a chihuahua, you know, and chihuahuas are, you know, little and tiny and, oh, okay, you know, I love them enough, I'll do it, but... Then you find out, well, actually you have to stay a chihuahua (laughs) for the rest of your life. Well, that kind of changes things, right? It didn't change things for Jesus. You know, when when the father said to him, you know, you can't ever have all this glory that you have right now. You're never going to look the same. You're never going to be the same in order to reach this creation that, that we made, that you made. You're going to have to look like them forever. Now, I don't know what we're going to look like in heaven, but, you know, you get the feeling that this is kind of substandard, don't you? <laughs> that there's going to be some kind of beauty that's beyond us to, to really grasp and understand He was willing to give that all up. The only thing that mattered to him was that we would be there with him. Would you give that? I would. For my grandkids. It'd be worth it. But there's not a whole lot else. But see, the scripture doesn't say for somebody that, you know, was so cute and lovable and awesome, it says for his enemies, for his enemies, knowing they would be the ones who tortured him. We love the blessings that God gives us, don't we? And rightfully so. But we need to remember what it cost him. When he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It says he breathed his last and it was finished. He said those words, it's finished. I know you all know this, but it really was finished. And each time we go before God to explain to him, you know, that we've sinned again, and we've committed that same sin that we've been wrestling with for however long, he says with just absolute love in his eyes, what are you talking about? You've never done this before because he chooses not to remember anymore. That may be a sin that you've wrestled with for 10 years and asked forgiveness for maybe a 100 times. But to him, it's brand new, like it's never happened before. Now, he's God, he can't forget. But he chooses not to remember. He chooses it because he wants you and he wants me to know how much compassion and love he has. I want you to think about someone that's sinned against you more than once. And it might have, it could have been a big sin or a small sin. It doesn't matter. I've had some people that have sinned against me more than once, big things, things that really, really hurt. And I want to forget what they did. I really do. Not because I think they're so great and I love them so much and I just want them to be blessed. No, because I just want to forget. You know what I mean? It's so hard, isn't it? I mean, is it just me or? It's so hard that he chooses not to remember. He did all of it to bless us. It's Sometimes it sounds trite maybe or simplified but it seems like every single thing that god does he does to bless us why why would he do that i mean honestly i know theologically he does all those things because he loves us so much but really like if you were god would you I'd be like, forget them. They're so ungrateful. (laughs) How many times have we said that? You know, when we get frustrated with our neighbor's kids because we see them at their birthday party and we just think, oh, that's so ungrateful, right? I mean, we've all done it. Okay, maybe I'm the only one who admits it, but we've all done it. You know, we've all had that thought and that feeling and and we've been kind of justified in it, you know, because the way they behaved was really inappropriate. And I have this personal habit of like I watch the way kids are, like when they're going to throw a temper tantrum or something like that. And I think, you know, that's exactly how I feel. Really, it's exactly how I feel. I wish I could just throw my hands up and scream and kick because I'm just so mad, but you can't. And we spend our whole life growing up to know how to cope so that when something happens, we are able to control ourselves and not throw a temper tantrum. But really, when you see your two-year-old kicking and screaming and banging their hands against the floor and rolling around, that's exactly, if we could, the way we would behave if we hadn't learned that. Right? We're not very different. We're not very different. And I remember I had one, one of my nieces and she had just horrible temper tantrums, like my mom and I used to just pray that she didn't have them in the store. I don't know if you've ever had a kid like that, but like it was just horrible when she had them and there was just nothing you could do except wait. I mean, you know, she was so little and there was all kinds of extenuating circumstances and we were trying this and trying that. But anyway, the upshot of it is, I remember that feeling of just waiting it out. And and I just think about that, like, how often does God feel like that with me? How often does he think, when is she ever going to get it? He doesn't. I mean, he's God, you know, but like, I'm sure that in his economy, the stupid, petty little sins that I hang on to are just as exasperating as those temper tantrums were. Paul said. I fill up in my body the sufferings of Christ. And I remember the first time I read that as a new believer, I thought, that's the most incredible thing I've ever heard. I would listened to this pastor explain all these sufferings, and he was much more graphic than I just was. And I thought, that's amazing. Like, how could he say that? I mean, he would, just must have been a superman. But he was just a man. He was just like you and just like me. And he said, I want to know him. I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering and in the power of his resurrection. He's the one that when he prayed that his thorn would be taken, God said to him, no, 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 you don't get it, Paul. My grace is enough. And you're suffering when you're in that place where you think you got nothing. That's when my strength is going to be perfected in you. And people are going to see me while you're suffering. Paul Went deeper. He was more mature in his relationship with God. And he understood something that most of us probably honestly will never actually walk into. But you can. It's available. It just costs a lot, there's a cost. to be in that close to the Lord. And it's more than most of us are willing to give. What are you willing to give? How are you looking at your life in Christ? We kind of tend to sometimes we want all the good, but we're not real excited about the suffering part, right? I mean, who would be excited about it? I don't think Paul was necessarily excited about it either. But it's easy to forget the suffering side. But I've had a lot of health problems. And I've learned a little bit some of the blessings suffering. Not a lot. I can't say that I'm, you know, like Dr. Helen Rosevear, who was taken by rebels in Congo and was raped and went through all these incredible difficulties. I can't say I was like Paul, but I had just a little taste. And I'll tell you what, he meets us in that suffering in a way that he doesn't meet us at any other time. And if any of you have undergone tragedy of some kind or personal suffering, you know what I mean. It's not like you have to do anything to invite him or ask him. It just happens. He knows us. (laughs) I love Psalm 103. As a father who pities his children, He remembers. He knows our frame. He knows we're just made of dust. He knows us. And so when some sort of suffering comes to us, he's right there to say, I've been there. I have what you need here. And it's almost like remember we talked about being yoked? And how he yokes himself with us and, and gives gives the like back to it, the strength to the work. And I said, for him, it's like he doesn't really just yoke us to him. It's like he carries us, you know. He's the one doing the work. But there's this experience of him in this understanding of him, and this entering in to what God is doing. And suffering scares us. Suffering isn't something most of us pray for or want or hope that we'll have more of in our life. But for sure, he's going to be there. He's going to be there. And that's one of those times, like it says in Isaiah 65, we don't even have to call. He'll be there before we call to extend his hand and meet us. At least he has been for me. And I'm sure he will be for you. But I don't want to just talk about how much he suffered. I want us to spend the last few minutes we have together talking about why he suffered. One of my favorite scriptures is in Hebrews chapter 12. And you can write it down. You all probably know the, you know, being surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses, that wonderful scripture. But there's a place where right after that, where he says, consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners. And it's speaking of Jesus saying, think about him, think about Jesus right before they started spitting on him. When he was making that decision, he was going to the cross and it says, He endured the shame, but he despised it. He despised it. I I just can't imagine the strength of Jesus, and I just can't wait for God to open up my understanding so I fully understand it, but there he is. Has anybody ever felt shame? I, I hate shame. I don't know how you feel, but... Shame is a hard one for me. But you know what the scripture says? For your shame, you're going to have double. Double. He knows what shame feels like. And he hates it. He hates that we have to go through it. And it says that he despises the shame and, and, and in that scripture in Hebrews, it says, lest you grow weary and faint in your minds. Remember a while back, I said the battle for us is right here. <laughs> it's in our minds. One of the things that Jesus purchased for us, one of the crowns we get to wear because of the cross Is this amazing renewal. We read about it in the book of Romans when it says we're renewed in our mind, right? Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and faithful and acceptable will of God. And it says, Paul said, outwardly we perish, but inwardly we're renewed every single day. He says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it's right after he goes through this long explanation of, of you know, we, we, we got to the place where we almost despaired of life, we wanted to kill ourselves, but then God came and, and met us. We were suffering to this extent where it was so terrible, but then God came and He renews us. That's what I I meant when I said earlier about the newness of life, about how he quickens his word. One of the crowns, ladies, is that renewal. And you know what I mean. He's done it for you. When you were just absolutely at the end and you were saying, Lord, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it, right? But you're still here. (laughs) Right when you thought you had no more, he just renewed you. Somehow you got through. I remember my my girlfriend explaining that before she was born again, she was driving down a one-way road and there's no way there was an oncoming car. She just thought, this is it. I'm, I'm dying today. And she said, a second later, I was on the other side of that car and we didn't crash. And she said, to this day, I don't know what happened. I just think that there was some kind of, we just passed through each other. That kind of renewal. God just meets us. He gives that renewal to us every time we open the word of God. Because he is the Word. It became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the only begotten of the Son of God. He is the Word. When you open the Bible, one of the treasures of the kingdom is the Word of God. Job said, I treasure it more than my necessary food. (laughs) And and I think we do do that, right? In our trials, we get to the place where it becomes so important to us because we recognize the renewal and the opportunity that we have But Galatians chapter 5, the fruits of the Spirit, is all we have time for. There's so many hundreds of thousands of treasures that he gives us because of that cross. But that's where I want to live today, spend the rest of our time. Because of the cross... We not only have the spirit with us, like they had all through the Old Testament, with us, he now indwells us, right? And after Pentecost, he baptizes us. But Galatians 5 says the fruit of the spirit. It's singular, ladies. It's just love. Peace is what love looks like when it rests. Gentleness is what love feels like when it touches you. Joy is what love looks like when it's rejoicing. Patience is what love looks like when it's not in a hurry. It's ready to just persevere and wait. the fruit of the Spirit. How many times in your Christian life has the fruit of the Spirit touched you? Probably countless, I hope, right? Hundreds of ways, hundreds of situations, hundreds of things. You wouldn't have that if he hadn't gone to the cross. Patience is always a big one for me. <laughs> and I love uh, Pastor Joe Foch says that, that the kind of patience that, that we receive from the Lord is not just the kind of patience that's like, oh, yeah, we can wait a little bit longer. He said it's, it's, it's like you have to wait at a bus stop in rain pouring down hail the size of golf stones and then there's cars driving by and splashing you at the same time and you're able to wait without a care in the world because you're so at rest. I need that kind of patience, don't you? I don't need just everyday patience. I need real patience. something we need every single day. Think about joy. Think about what your life would be like absent of joy. Jesus said, The world is full of tribulation, full of it. Right? And he said in John chapter 15, I want you to have this joy and I want it to remain in you. I want it to be something that never stops coming in your life. Do you realize that if He hadn't gone to the cross for you and me, we couldn't have joy? We would still be going to the temple every time we sinned, (laughs) waiting in line with our animal, hoping for remission, knowing that that sin was gonna come back up again, that issue, that, that consequence, eventually. Remission just meant it was covered and taken care of for a period of time. I think sometimes we lose that, you know, when we think about the sacrifice. We think that like the substitutionary animal died and, and that was bad because an animal had to die and you had to pay, but then it was done. No, it wasn't done. (laughs) It was just remission. It wasn't absolution. It wasn't absolution. At the great white judgment seat, that still would have had to come up if there was no cross. That would be really awful, wouldn't it? Every single mistake we've ever made. Joy. Gentleness. Kindness. We could go on and on. But I want to end with looking with you at Revelation. And then I have one more little scripture I want to look at before we close. I told you it was going to be short because we don't have much time, but... Sorry, I lost my other glasses, so let me use these. Revelation 22 It says in verse 1, God showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was a tree of life which bare 12 fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there's no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will serve him. They'll see him in his face, and his name will be in their foreheads. And there's no night there. They don't need any lamp or light or sun, because the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. That's what it's going to look like in that just little place. And sometimes I just close my eyes and I try to imagine what that throne looks like, what that light looks like, and Jesus sitting on that throne. And we read in a chapter before, if you've ever read through the book of Revelation, that, you know, he promised there'd be no more tears. That he'd wipe all the tears away there was no hunger no suffering no sorrow nothing bad in heaven and that throne is there the healing of the nations but the cross purchased one more thing you get to rule and reign with him there We're going to talk more about that in our last session together, but we get to rule and reign within there. Before we break and go to lunch, I don't know what you think heaven is going to be like. And I don't know how much you think about going there. My husband used to say, I loved it. It was the sweetest thing he used to say. You know, people that invest in the stock market read their portfolio and you know they check every month how much it's grown and stuff and he said I like to read the book of Revelation and just every month think about that's my future that's my future and I was like that's smart you know that's your future you're not only going to rule and reign with him and have your room, whatever size it is, I hope it's a mansion. I hope that you serve so much that you have a glorious mansion up there. But you're gonna be one of those ones that's seated right there, watching the light of that throne and rejoicing and taking the crowns of reward that he gives to you and giving it back to him. Amen. You're gonna just cast it at his feet. And I want you to just bow your head with me for a minute. We're gonna pray and just close for lunch, but I want you to just think about the joy in your heart when you get to toss that crown at his feet. And just ask him, as you feel that joy welling up in your heart, ask him to just show you how much deeper and richer his joy was when he went to the cross for you. Ask him to just give you a taste of it so you'll be able to understand and it'll inspire you to give back. To serve him and to just embrace everything that he's given you and let go of the things that so easily ensnare us. Just get a taste of that joy. Lord, Lord, I know that even on my best day, I could never really adequately explain how much you've suffered. And it's just impossible in such a short amount of time to even talk about all the blessings that you've purchased for us. But Lord, I know the Bible talks about the martyr's crown and the crown of life. And Psalm 103 just talks about all the ways that you crown our lives with goodness and blessing your tender mercy is over all all creation Lord and especially towards us because you love us so much please Father as my sisters go to lunch and fellowship I just pray Holy Spirit that you will fill their hearts with gratitude joy understanding, Lord, that they will be so aware of what you've purchased for them, God, and celebrate it and enjoy it and and partake of it and get excited about it, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us, and I thank you that The best is yet to come. And that each one of these beautiful women gets to invest in what's ahead. Bless my sisters, God. Bless our lunchtime. Bless the groups. Father, please, bless the movie and our free time and just prepare our hearts. Let the communion time tonight be so sweet. Just open our understanding of all that you've done for us, Lord. We are so thankful to be yours. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.